G'day folks, welcome to episode 87 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week, we've got our usual roundup of vulnerabilities to go through. 24 unique CVEs were addressed by the team across the supported Ubuntu releases. Plus, Joe McManus, director of the Ubuntu security team, is back uh, in the podcast chair with me. And we're having a chat about uh, the recently announced uh, malware out of uh, the NSA and FBI, dubbed DroverRub uh, for Linux. Uh, so yeah, we'll have a good chat about that a bit later on. But first, let's just get into the usual roundup of vulnerabilities fixed in the last week by the Ubuntu security team. So up first, we had uh, an update for Dovecot, the IMAP server. So there were three different CVEs that were fixed here, going all the way back to Ubuntu release 14.04 extended security maintenance, uh, as well as Ubuntu 16.04, 18.04, and 20.04 long-term support. Uh, all of these were denial of service related issues. Uh, one of them was where uh, a large amount of nested mine parts could cause uh, resource exhaustion. So you get a, obviously a denial of service in terms of CPU. Uh, there was also uh, an issue in handling of uh, CompuServe RPA authentication mechanism. Uh, this is pretty rare among clients, so you're probably not using that. But uh, yeah, a zero length message of that type uh, could trigger uh, an assertion fail. So denial of service again. And there was also a missing length check uh, in the NT. LM uh, authentication handling and so you'd get a buffer overread and likely a crash on that as well. Uh, we then had an update for uh, the software properties uh, package. Uh, this goes again all the way back to Ubuntu 14.04 extended security maintenance as well as the three long-term support supported releases. Uh, in this case uh, it was actually reported uh, to the OSS security mailing list as well as uh, directly to us uh, about how uh, the tool add apt repository, which is often used uh, for adding, uh, say, PPAs to your system. Uh, so when you run that to add a PPA, it prints a description of the PPA, which it fetches from Launchpad. And that uh, description could contain uh, ANSI escape sequences, and they would get printed out directly uh, to your terminal when you ran that, ran that. And so this could then be used, you know, to mask certain things uh, and to kind of cause unwanted effects likely. Uh, so that was fixed to basically filter out um, all of that stuff. Uh, we then had an update for Apache uh, for Ubuntu releases 16.04, 18.04, and 20.04 long-term support. Five different CVEs were fixed here. Um, the more interesting ones of these were that mod rewrite could be tricked into redirecting uh, you to an unexpected URL if uh, the URL that was encoded in the request contained embedded new lines. Uh, there was also uh, the use of uninitialized memory when uh, proxying to a malicious FTP server. Uh, so you could get an information leak returned back to the client there. Uh, there were a couple different HTTP uh, version 2 issues. Uh, so improper, improper handling of cache digest headers and certain logging statements would cause it to uh, crash. So you get a denial of service. And there was also a buffer overflow in mod proxy uh, micro WSGI. So that would cause, again, a crash or possible code execution. Then we had an update for SALT. Uh, this was four different C sorry, this was five different CVEs uh, for Ubuntu 16.04 and 18.04 long-term support. Uh, the first of these was you could possibly uh, enumerate uh, files on a remote server. So this is an information leak. You could also possibly uh, bypass authentication. Uh, there was the ability as well to do a command injection from unauthenticated users. And this vulnerability actually had a fair bit of press earlier in the year. Uh, so obviously you could then get code execution on the Salt API host, as well as a failure to validate method calls and sanitize paths, and which again could allow an attacker to possibly bypass access controls. 
Uh, we had an update as well for the Onigurama uh, library in Ubuntu 14.04 Extended Security Maintenance. So this is often used uh, by PHP and Ruby uh, for their regular expression handling. And there was a bunch of different issues there around uh, improper handling of regular expressions that could lead to uh, likely denial of service type issues, so crashing essentially the library. Uh, there was an update as well for uh, ARC, which is an archive handling application for KDE. Uh, in this case, uh, it was vulnerable to a zip slip attack, uh, which is where you've got a zip uh, archive that contains, uh, say, relative paths in it that point outside of, you know, the directory that you're extracting to. So say it would be dot dot slash, you know, wherever. And so when it extracted that, it would overwrite, you know, those files. So it now uh, will just tell you that it contains, you know, files that point outside of it and not overwrite them for you, hopefully. Uh, there was also updates for the kernel in the past week. So we had three CVEs that were updated in the kernel for uh, Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support. And this is the hardware enablement kernel for that, which is based on the 5.3 kernel that was used in Ubuntu 19.10, Eon Ermine. Uh, that will soon be updated to point to the uh, 2004 uh, hardware enablement, uh, 2004 kernel, should I say, which is a 5.4 based kernel. But anyway, uh, so yeah, there was a memory leak in the USB testing driver when uh, the device was disconnected. So that means a phys local physical attacker that could, you know, plug and unplug that from your machine could eventually exhaust memory. Uh, there was a deadlock in the Vcash uh, subsystem. So again, uh, you could cause denial of service there by locking up uh, the kernel. And as well uh, within the XFS file system, uh, a file system image containing crafted metadata could cause uh, a sync operation to take a really long time. So again, a denial of service issue if you are uh, mounting or handling uh, crafted XFS file system images. Uh, then we had an update for the uh, 5.0 kernel used for Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support as well. Uh, that is used in uh, some GKE platforms and OEM platforms. And this was just for that Bcache deadlock that I talked about. There was also an update for the kernel in Ubuntu 16.04 uh, long-term support, which is used as the hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 14.04 ESM. Uh, this was the two issues I talked about just before. So the Bcache deadlock and the USB testing driver memory leak were fixed for that as well. We then had an update for GNOME Shell. Uh, this was just one vulnerability for Ubuntu uh, 24 long-term support. So this issue did not affect uh, previous uh, versions of, of, of versions of GNOME Shell in previous Ubuntu releases. In this case, uh, GNOME Shell could possibly end up showing your login password when you logged out uh, if you had made that visible while you were originally logging in because GNOME Shell handles the login screen nowadays. Uh, and so that was a change to hide that <laughs> as appropriate. And finally, we had an update for curl. So one CV for curl uh, in Ubuntu versions 16.04, 18.04, and 20.04 long-term support. Uh, in this case, uh, when using libcurl, uh, it didn't properly handle the connect-only option or the curl opt connect-only uh, environment variable. And so it could possibly connect to uh, a wrong destination and expose sensitive info as a result of improper handling of that. Yeah, so that was fixed for libcurl. And that's it for this week in security updates. So as I said at the start, uh, Joe is back with me this week and we are going to discuss the Druvarub uh, Linux malware that was recently uh, doxed by NSA and FBI. Hey Joe, welcome back again. You've had a week off. How was your week? 
Ah, that's fantastic. I was in the mountains. I was in the desert. And I was all over the place. Then I played with some IoT devices. So it was kind of a perfect holiday. How was your week not off? It was good. Uh, what was it? So I don't know if you listened into the podcast. I was talking one password. And yeah, it was good. Um, no, it was a shame. It was, it's a bit lonely not having you here. So, so it's always <laughs> good to have someone else to actually talk to. That's, that's very good. And your jerk boss wasn't around. So that's always, always pretty good. Yeah. Terrible, terrible boss. Um, so, um, this week, I think we have a really cool discussion. So you might have seen this in Hacker News or Threat Post or Ars Technica or any site. Um, it was a rare moment where the FBI and NSA came out talking about the DrovoRub malware and rootkit attack and how um, you should uh, sort of mitigate that risk and how you can detect it and things like that. But what was really cool is they released a 45-page report um, sort of delving into how this works and um, really going into detail on the code. And so um, I think we're going to talk about that today. Am I right, Alex? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I, um, I agree. I think this is awesome. It's a huge amount of detail in the report. Uh, it goes through, obviously, kind of a high-level overview of it. Um, you know, it talks about who. So it's you know from this uh, Russian uh, state-based group uh, not commonly known as Fancy Bear, but uh, you know, out of the GRU there, and APT it, yeah, really tears down the malware into components. Um, mm -hmm. As you said, how you can detect it. So there's like Yara rules and Snort rules there, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, ways that you can try to mitigate it. So yeah, I think it's um, it's super detailed and super interesting. Yeah. So this this software. So it's 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 a two part um, uh, attack. So it uses. Um, uh, user space based program um, that's sort of a, a client that talks to a, a, a web server over a WebSocket, and then there's a um, and then there's the rootkit that it installs as well. Um, and so before we get into all those details, um, you know the FBI sort of announced it because it said it was um, really targeting DoD and the defense industrial base. But um, I find it has a bigger you know like any malware it may be targeted but you'll see it other places like we saw with stuxnet right it was definitely targeted yeah. at, at our any nuclear power plant but we saw it in like oil companies uh after that you know i think we like chevron might have had installs of it um so it, it that's why uh cisco talus uh talus actually discovered this and they said um so talus is a really uh good uh threat intel group out of cisco um, they've said that they've seen it on 500,000 routers. Um, and I'm not, it didn't say in the article I read, um, whether it was, you know, are they Cisco routers where they saw this or were they able to detect it because maybe it's listening on a WebSocket um, and maybe they were able to just do mm. the equivalent of an Nmap and discover it. But um, yeah. now these boxes, they're all part of essentially a botnet because um, this uh, DrovoRub uh it is. It does a bunch of things. It makes your box part of a um, a botnet because it installs C2 software um, or command and control. But then it also installs um, that that malware is really comp complex. It can file. It can copy files. It can open a uh, reverse, uh, basically a reverse tunnel. Um, and uh, looking at the malware, it did some really neat things. So it has a JSON configuration file telling you what like port and what your username is, where you're going to connect. Um, the initial connection um, actually launches, and the first connection you authenticate and provide a username and password. And then all subsequent connections, they're all using RSA key for encryption. Um, they uh, all the subsequent connections use that username and password you just registered with to actually authenticate again. So that sort of prevents somebody from just trying to like you know randomly replay traffic and connect. Um, yeah. So 
then um, if you look actually uh, the URL um, username and password are all stored in this JSON file. Um, it does port forwarding, but, and it's all built using the uh, libpoco library. So if you have Ubuntu and you know, find you've got libpoco, which is C++ library. Um, but I think this is really interesting. It then ties to a kernel module. The kernel module, so if you've, if hopefully, I'm just gonna be honest, everybody here has probably been infected once. And if you're a Linux user and you're infected, what's the first thing you do? You run ps-ef. And if you have a box that's been popped, when you run ps-ef, I don't know, Alex, did it look any different to you? Well, it depends, doesn't it, right? Um, yeah. You know, if it's if your attacker is uh, not trying to hide their tracks, then yes, it will. That's the idea of, you know, that's why you're running yeah. it, right? You're trying to go, oh, I've seen, mm -hmm. you know, maybe my machine is um, consuming a lot more resources than I thought, so mm -hmm. I'll go see what processes are running, and oh, I see some strange process. Uh, but I guess uh, what you're getting at is the whole point of the rootkit is to hide that. Process. Yes. So poorly written malware, when you run PS-EF, they'll actually drop in a new PS binary. So when you run PS-EF, the output will actually look, you notice your columns will be slightly off. And mm -hmm. that's the problem, like when you look at phishing attempts and you're like, wow, this grammar is terrible. Kind of the same thing yeah. with a poorly written rootkit. But actually, Drovo Rub did something really interesting. They uh, they interrupt syscalls um, and they can actually look at... Um, things like find task by PID, uh, find proc, and it hides those. It interrupts that and it actually hides files and slash proc. Um, and then if you do netstat dash an, because they're gonna look for these, you know, these open connections, it actually um, hides that as well. But even better, it intersect, it interrupts the um, net filter uh, uh, syscalls. So when you do um, like a nf register underscore register underscore hook, it actually intercepts that call, lets you block the traffic, and then immediately calls unregister underscore hook and opens it back up again. So you think you've actually blocked it. It shows that you've blocked it, but it's actually not doing anything. So it's, um, I'll say it's quite sophisticated. And then if you look at their API, they publish some things like there's just simple stuff. There's got um, HF, UH um, for hide file, unhide file, um, remove file, unremove file. Like it just has a bunch of a really well-written API. Like if you look at that at that document that um, the FBI and NSA joint released, like it's actually almost a study in how you should write, you, you know, your your configuration files going forward. Like they did a really nice job, which shows you that this is from a well-funded nation-state hacker because you wouldn't you wouldn't spend the time unless this were targeted at like financial services where maybe your attacker has some sort of vested interest in um, in making the service really easy to use because they're going to resell it, right? If you look at like, I think the Black Hole Rootkit was really written well because they sold access to it. And um, this mm. kind of leads me to saying it has to be a nation state. Um, if you look at, um, now we talked about what it does, how it sort of hides things from you. But um, really, this kind of ties in with something we talked about two weeks ago. Would the kernel module be able to load if you had UFI uh, secure boot enabled? No. So the idea is that you know it is trying to target like random machines that it doesn't know what is there. So uh, the kernel module is not signed. Uh, so that you know with secure boot turned on, uh, we enforce module signature checking as well, uh, and uh, that goes all the way back to the 3.7 kernel, at least as it's listed in the uh, in the report. You know, so they they recommend that you upgrade to at least a 3.7 kernel. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you will be enforcing module signatures. So you need to make sure that it's actually enabled as well. So in 1804 or in 2004, is that on by default? 
yeah, it's on by default on all of our, um, our releases. So if you are running 1604, 1804, 2004, you, know, you, you are safe from at least the rootkit part of this. Uh, what's interesting is the report, as much detail as it goes into breaking down the software, as you say, you know, use of configuration files and web sockets and its API and all of that. And as you said, it makes it look like it's a very well written piece of software. You know, a lot of software engineering effort has gone into this and it's quite high quality. It doesn't detail actually how it initially compromises machines. So uh, as Ubuntu security, you know, that's the kind of thing that I, I'm interested in. I want to make sure that, you know, if it is, say, trying to exploit, I don't know, some known or even unknown zero day, you know, in Apache or whatever it might be, right, that it uses mm -hmm. to, to compromise machines. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing we want to make sure that uh, mm -hmm. we are preventing so that you can't get infected in the first place. It's great, obviously, to have all this detail of how you can detect it and maybe um, you know remove it uh, and you know find it on your network and all of that. But really, what you want to do is you want to make sure that you are safe so that you can't be infected in the first place. And yeah, that's the the one detail that's really missing from uh, from this teardown. But otherwise, I think yeah, it's fantastic. As I say, it, um, what really impressed me, I guess, is the use of web sockets. The use of JSON's configuration it actually says too that this is relatively recent software. It's not some you know um implant malware kit that uh they've had for 20 years that they've been you know slowly evolving you know it's something that must have been written probably in the last five or so years i would have thought mm -hmm. uh to be using those technologies so yeah i i'm impressed to say at the software the level of software engineering detail that's gone into this uh and i know that really shows that it's nation state and uh has had a lot of money behind it too i know if only these are powers for good um now, but to something you said, you know, this report doesn't cover the actual, um, I'll say, infection vector, right? Um, you know, yeah. it goes into indicators of compromise, but doesn't show you what the, you know, the, the reconnaissance phase, what should we look for? Um, the detection methods, like it says, use snort, um, and there's IDS rules, and I'm a big fan of snort, and it can detect the C2 traffic from what I understand, but that's not preventing it, right? And knowing that something happened after the fact is all well and good, but how do you prevent it? I'm yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm just guessing. I have no data to um, to support this 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 theory, but I'm going to assume it involves some. I would say it's probably credential stealing or something like that, where they're going in and they want to be, you know, they want to be just that the advanced persistent threat that why they're called APT, right? They want yeah. to be that advanced person threat that's sitting your network, that's gleaning data, that's running long term, stealing trade secrets, things like that. Um, mm. So it's not just be a one time destructive act, um, which is my guess. But I'm, you know, as details come out, we might find, as you said, is it some vulnerability in a well known package? Um, I think what today there was a, or maybe it was yesterday, there was a uh, vulnerability in the core of Jenkins that was announced that was yeah. um, an information disclosure, right? But there's apps like that, and I'm not calling out Jenkins, but there are apps like that that are out there that are commonly used across everybody's enterprise, and this could be something they're leveraging. Obviously, though, it would have to run as root to leverage this attack, though, wouldn't it, right? Because to install kernel modules and yeah. things that are starting on boot, you probably need to be root. Yeah, there's no talk there of yeah, trying to escalate privileges or anything. So I assume, uh, yes, that it is compromising some root service. And uh, the talk of you know a 3.7 kernel, that's a that's a very old kernel nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe this is really targeting uh, old legacy um, machines that are running that haven't been patched. So you know, there could be any number of vulnerabilities really that are being exploited to get that initial compromise. Um, but yeah, I think uh, if... Even if you're not someone that's in charge of a network of Linux machines uh, and particularly legacy Linux machines, I think this makes for great reading. Yeah, it's, it's really, um, it is, it's a really neat story and it should be, for lack of a better term, a case study in how 
modern malware is written, right? You can't make those assumptions that this is, you know, some rinky-dink software that's just going to do some random HTTP put, um, or I'm sorry, post or get to do with all its communication, right? This is this mm. is how modern mal- malware is turning. Um, yeah, and the use of of encryption to be able to you know authenticate the client to itself. I think yeah, all of that is. I mean, that is how you would write an enterprise service, and this is essentially you know um, malware enterprise service. <laughs> so. And and I think I think yeah. and I could I could be wrong, but I think the three seven kernel introduced secure boot. So I think that's only called out in the article, which I think is actually probably making people misinterpret their actual risk because they're probably saying, oh, 3.7, I'm beyond that. But it actually requires mm-hmm. secure boot. So anything before 3.7 obviously wouldn't have secure boot. Um, but anything after 3.7, I think that's where they first introduced it into the kernel, I believe. And I think that was like 2012 that 3.7 came out. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I'm not really too familiar on my dates of every single kernel. Uh, that memory has since slipped my mind. And I think it's a good thing because nobody should have to remember all of that. Um, but yeah, it's interesting malware and um, folks should read that and mitigate in their network. You know, obviously run auto updates, live patch, et cetera. And then if you can, if you're running an IDS, um, run the snort rules. And I think most Cisco hardware will run snort rules. I think most network hardware these days will ingest a snort rule. Um, and I believe all snort rules are open to the community after two weeks. So if, if you're a paying customer, you get those now. But I think the community could just glean those in, in two weeks. Um mm. So yeah, um, Alex, I have to ask, what are you reading this week? Uh, so I'm reading uh, Around the World in 80 Days. I actually saw it sitting in my library. Uh, so you know, I've taken the kids to the library and just saw it sitting there and thought, huh, I've never read that. So um, yeah, uh, old Jules Verne classic. Uh, Very cool. I, I, I dig it so far, yeah. Very nice. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm reading uh, uh, a R.A. Salvatore uh, uh D style book, The Halfling's Gem in the Drizdo Arden series. I'm probably saying all of those names wrong, but that's all right because that's um, I'm reading it so I can make up how that's pronounced. And they're all made yeah, up well, names for halflings and elves and it, things like that. I mean, it's hard enough, even in this case, you know, talking about this uh, Drovarub uh, malware. You know, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, at least that's a real word in, 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 you know, a human language, right? Uh, when you're then talking, you know, invented languages that authors come up with. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're going to tell me that Elvish isn't a real language. I'm sure somebody, some Tolkien fan has written the language if, if oh, Tolkien didn't write it yeah. himself. Um, yeah. But everybody, thank you again for listening and we'll be back next week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, Joe. Bye. And thanks again, Joe. All right, uh, that takes us to the end of this week's episode. If you want to get in contact with the Ubuntu security team, you can reach us at securityubuntu.com. We also hang out on irc.freenode.net in the Ubuntu Harden channel. Uh, and you can get us on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec if that is more your thing as well. So yeah, come and hit us up uh, on any of those channels and uh, say day. talk to us about uh, Ubuntu and security. That'd be great. All right, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. Uh, remember, until next week, keep calm because we've got your back. And I'll speak to you soon. Bye.